episode of Upon Further Review, a not-so-deep six in the NBA, could COVID permanently change the sports calendar for good, and the high school coach's inspirational journey. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your bi-monthly snapshot and discussion of sports in the age of COVID. I'm Ty Henry. And I'm Matt Zemek. Matt, we've got some news today. Obviously, we have, uh, we, we have an interview coming up with Chad Conine and also with Richard Obert about some news in Arizona and also with Kim Mulkey. But top story right now going on is the NBA and COVID. And it seems there's a bit of COVID fatigue going on in the league. Uh, The Sixers first, Seth Curry. And then there was a cascading series of issues with multiple teams, including the Celtics. Delve into what you've read on the subject and let's discuss it a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I I have the strong sense that in the NBA, most people are talking about the Philadelphia 76ers since Joel Embiid uh, has had to quarantine and, you know, he has a, uh, a, a baby on the way and he's needing to, uh, uh, you know, have that in mind in terms of his, the safety of his future child and, and his partner. Uh, that's an issue unto itself. But then the Sixers have been hit by COVID, Seth Curry. Uh, in particular, and for some reason, the NBA insisted on having the Sixers and Nuggets play uh, a, a, an afternoon game on Saturday, January 9, despite all of these uncertainties swirling around and the Sixers basically putting out like a maybe a G League deluxe lineup, uh, at least a starting five on the floor against the Nuggets. And that, you know, that calls to mind the... Uh, calls to question rather the competitive integrity of that particular Sixers Nuggets game. The NBA is just kind of wanting to keep the trains moving. It's, it's reminiscent of what the NFL did by uh, preventing the Denver Broncos entire quarterback room from playing against the Saints. And Denver had to sign uh, Kendall Hinton, a receiver who had played quarterback at Wake Forest. They had to sign him off the street and just bring him in. The NFL insisted on playing that game Sunday afternoon. You know, it didn't delay the game until Tuesday or Wednesday, which we had seen the NFL do for, you know, better teams, hint, hint. I mean, the NFL really has seemed to uh, conveniently adjust its standards and its levels of flexibility, depending on how good the team involved was. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and, and so with, with the NBA, uh, we, we, we're getting a similar reality that the NBA just wants to seem to push these games through instead of calling them off if there are real doubts about the extent of COVID spread on a team. I mean, we do not have ironclad, solid information about just how much COVID uh, has spread on the Sixers and how much every player is at risk. And, you know, this isn't the NFL where you have one game a week. This is, you know, just games every other day. So, And these guys are vectors. These guys are vectors. They're moving. Uh, it's what – this is no longer a bubble situation. These guys are vectors, and so are the surrounding staff around them. So they're moving from state to state. They're moving from city to city. They're moving from hotel to hotel. And they have some COVID protocols, so to speak, 
but you are at the risk of if you were a player on a team of what that player's family might have done the week before. Yes, and you know the the movement from from game to game and city to city. It really just seems as though the NBA is playing Russian roulette right now. Uh, and and just to make the big connection here, Ty, the Sixers are the talk of the NBA in terms of COVID. Like the Sixers in the, these first ten days of January are what the Houston Rockets were in the first week of the NBA season near Christmas with James Harden, Boogie Cousins. And others. So the Rockets were the COVID team in late December. The Sixers are the COVID team in early January. But flying under the radar, precisely because of Joel Embiid's uh, high-profile COVID situation with his with his new family, uh, the Washington Wizards they're they're not getting the same amount of national discussion and notice in terms of NBA COVID uh, concerns. But um, Justin Russo, who is on Twitter at flyby. Knight, and he spells Knight K-N-I-T-E, flyby K-N-I-T-E. He, he noted this uh, earlier on Saturday. He said that he noted that on January 3rd, the Washington Wizards played the Brooklyn Nets. And on January 5th, Kevin Durant had to quarantine for a week. He then noted that on January 6th, the Wizards played the Sixers. On January 7th, several 76ers players had to quarantine. And then Justin Russo also pointed out that on Friday, January 8th, the Wizards played the Celtics. And then on Saturday, January 9th, Jason Tatum had to quarantine. So connect the dots, Ty. Do the math. It certainly seems as though there is a, a, a spreader effect coming from the Wizards to some degree. And the NBA does not seem to be on top of that situation. And that goes into, you know, why did the Sixers and Nuggets absolutely have to play on Saturday, while the NBA has not really locked down uh, uh, you know, uh, and determined conclusively that the Washington Wizards are not spreading COVID-19 to other NBA teams. Uh, let me jump in here. I see Fred Katz here, who is a um, who's also uh, the Wizards. He's host of Wizards After Dark, a, a Wizards po- postgame podcast. Uh, Bulls cases popped up during the series with the Wizards. Durant quarantine was right after the Nets Wizards. Now it's Philadelphia where the Wizards played last night. So we have another podcaster and broadcaster who has sort of picked up on this. You know, it's interesting because these are, when you talk about the NBA, basketball is a sport where you can reschedule on the fly. It's not a high contact sport in terms of collisions. So, you don't have a whole lot of people getting seriously injured and and sore after the games. You can kind of move games around, and you don't ha- you don't need as much lead time. You can play multiple games in a day if you wanted to. So it seems like they could have some delay, and you don't have fans in most of these places. Are, are which of these places in terms of the Bulls? Or, I'm sorry. Let's take let's take the the Wizards. Do the Wizards do the Nets or? Are the Boston Celtics or are the silly 76ers having any fans in the stadiums? I know that the Los Angeles not, Lakers not have decided that, they're not, not that I have any. So, hmm? not, not that I'm aware of. Okay. I mean, I think I think Adam Silver was pretty clear that, you know, before the vaccine arrived that, uh, you know, fans was in arenas was just not doable. I mean, he, he sounded notes of hopeful optimism before the season began, but, you know, as COVID intensified, Coming up to the December 22 start date of the season, Silver walked that back and said, 
well, we wanted to, but no, it's not, it's not going to happen. And, and I should say, Ty, that on the, on the heels of saying that, you know, I, I remain perplexed, not because, you know, I'm surprised the NBA wanted that Christmas Day TV money. Uh, you know, that that's obviously was a, the, the reason the season started on December 22nd. I'm not surprised by that. What I am surprised by is the felt need to have to start the season when the NBA did. Um, and instead of waiting for the vaccine rollout to occur, because I, I, I look, Christmas Day t- television is a valuable property for the NBA. There's no question about that. And also, I, I get that, you know, the NBA wants to be able to have its players compete at the Tokyo Olympics uh, this upcoming summer, assuming we do have an Olympics. So that was Ugh. also a reason <laughs> to cram in this NBA schedule before Tokyo. But but in terms just in terms of economics, which, you know, the, it is the main concern. It's the it's the main reason college and football and the NFL, you know, insisted on playing right through the pandemic, um, you know, damn the torpedoes Be, in terms, just from a strictly economic point of view, I, I fail to, to, to understand why the NBA had to start when it did, because if we get the vaccine distributed to a lot more people in, let's say April, I mean, it's, we're not going to be, at, we're not going to hit the desired target, but we will have many tens of millions of more Americans vaccinated by then. And so if you're the NBA, why not wait the extra few months uh, to start your 2021 season? Okay. So you don't get Christmas day television, but you can have, you can begin to have fans in the seats, maybe not at the start of the season, but certainly in the middle of the season, but under the current circumstances, uh, you know, it's hard to see how you're going to have fans in the stands anytime soon. So, you know, if you, if you move the season back three months, uh, but you can get fans in the stands for a much bigger chunk of your regular season. And then for all of your postseason, aren't you ultimately making a lot more money then if you start right now and you get that Christmas Day uh, TV set, well, I can, I can, I can, I can sort of see splitting the baby here, Matt. In terms of let's have the Christmas Day games and then have a delay, so kind of wet people's appetite, get that Christmas Day money, maybe play a game a week from time to time, but not play a full schedule, and then sort of have a fall back for a while. Because what do you have? You have the college football playoff. You have the NFL playoffs going on. So there's plenty for the sports fans and then kind of pick things up mid January, late January. Uh, do you think maybe the NBA should have thought about that a little bit as well? Or uh, what do you think about that type of idea or that type of arrangement? Well, you know, doing something like that, uh, it, it, it would have a pronounced stop and start quality to it. And, you know, I cover USC basketball and USC basketball was shut down for three weeks uh, because of COVID-19. Now, USC's playing better after its its restart. And like, so it had an interruption, it dealt with it, and, and the season still moved on. So, you know, the idea that having a three-week uh, in-between period, you know, where you play Christmas Day TV games, and then you go quiet or, or almost completely quiet for three weeks, you know, a lot of people are going to scratch their heads on that. But, but... This is a pandemic. You know, right. there's no set way to do it. Like there's no law saying you have to do an, a fully normal schedule. I mean, so you're, that idea, 
you know, people will will at first go, what? But really, when you think about it, why not? Why can't you manipulate your schedule in untraditional ways so that you're getting, you know, maybe not all of what you want, but more of what you want? And so the NBA just going full speed ahead with a normal rhythm schedule here in January when fans can't attend because the vaccine rollout is both slow and still in its relatively early stages, it just seems to me that the NBA is throwing away the chance to push back its season and get a lot more dates, game dates, with fans able to attend in the summer. I mean, it just it just seems as though the NBA is so fixed to the idea of having its normal calendar uh, that it's forsaking some potential opportunities to make more revenue. I mean, it, it, it seems, Ty, that the NBA's desire to start the season when it did was not just to get Christmas money and not just to fit it in before Tokyo and the Olympics, but also to eventually get the league back to that normal October through June calendar for 2021-2022 uh, to get back into that rhythm. And when when the uh, when the uh, bubble playoffs were occurring, you know, I was not the only person to arrive at the realization of, wait a minute, the NBA playing through July and August, usually the deadest, dullest mom- uh, months of the sports year. That's actually pretty darn cool. You know, we get showcase postseason basketball during the dog days, and then it ends right when the NFL season gets going. That's actually a pretty good rearrangement of the calendar. Yeah, it might be a good paradigm shift because all we have, I mean, we're tennis fans, so we have Wimbledon during the summer, but not everybody's a tennis fan, right? And we have soccer fans, and it's been, and that's a busy period, but that's not huge in the United States. So uh, it, we're in the second act of the baseball season as well. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, uh, to, now, you know, maybe maybe you and I are the weird people and everyone else is, you know, smart and sane, but to me, Ty... Having an NBA and also NHL season, which began right after the NFL's conference championship games in late January and then goes through August or, you know, maybe Labor Day weekend right before the NFL starts up again. You're claiming the eight months of the year in which the NFL isn't playing. That seems to be perfect for what the NBA and the NHL should be doing. I mean, that seems to me like the the ideal calendar arrangement for your sports, and they're and they're not doing it. I I, I just don't get it. You know, we have a lot of uh, social justice and a- economic and racial justice. R- justice was actually put to the fore, and as Kyle Kalinske likes to say, and we all know that they will cave on the symbolism first about the care for black athletes and people of color and for racial justice and for moving the society forward and advancing in these in these matters but then you have a situation where you what it harkens back to the old and this isn't the same obviously because um but you know the tuskegee experiment where they actually put viruses in people and and saw and saw what happened to them this isn't the same thing we know it's a pandemic but this is a situation where there's a sort of disconnect here because one, you're putting players at risk before having a full off season, which has, I think, diminished the quality of the product as a fan, 
because teams haven't had a chance to re- guys haven't had a chance to relax, have an off season, let their bodies heal, and then develop some chemistry with their teammates and have a training camp with these young players and implement them, but also implement these new protocols in keeping with what we all knew was going to be a spike period subsequent to Thanksgiving and Christmas and a large number of the populace being sort of recalcitrant and having COVID fatigue and being able to adapt to that after the fact and have some time to put some protocols in. One one thing you touched on and what you just said, Ty, was, you know, the was fatigue. And of course, that's not just physical. It's also mental. And I mean, even Americans just being at just the reality of being at home and not being able to socialize face to face with with friends, people you love. Uh, that's fatiguing. That is emotionally exhausting to be deprived of that. Uh, and, and so, you know, these NBA players with the two month off season, not only did, you know, sp- for the, specifically for the Lakers and the Heat, also for the Celtics uh, and the Nuggets, the other teams that made the conference finals, not only is physical fatigue a real thing with them. I mean, the Miami Heat, you can tell, you know, they're just dragging through the first few weeks of the season. That's the first team I thought about. That's the first team I thought about. Totally predictable. Totally predictable. It's not an indictment on any of those players. Like, none of them should be criticized for this. They were thrown into this situation. Uh, I'm really surprised that the NBA Players Union didn't put up a much bigger fight. Um, But but anyway, it's not just physical fatigue. It's also mental fatigue. And – you know, there, there's so much research and study in sports medicine today, and, and you know the NBA itself has been part of this. You know, why aren't why are there fewer back to backs? Why are uh, games uh, you know more spread out? Uh, why you know why did the regular season move into mid October? You know, it used to start in early November, but but a few years ago it, it was pushed up to mid-October. Why? So that you have more open dates in the season and you have far fewer instances of back-to-backs, also far fewer instances of four games in five nights. That's another thing the NBA over the past six, seven years has worked really hard to reduce. And that's to the NBA's credit. But the point is the NBA knows, it knows that giving players adequate rest, adequate time to replenish revive, get enough sleep, get into uh, a, a city at a decent hour and, and, and you know, be able to have you know, some time to decompress between all the games that it they're playing. the product. The NBA knows this, and yet it still wanted to throw these players back into the arena well before uh, they were either physically or emotionally ready. I think that's a scandal, but, you know, you're just not seeing it because, hey, TV money, got to keep the industry going. And, and hey, I'm a sports writer. I mean, sports continuing, you know, that that fills my wallet. So, I mean, I get it. And I, I admit that I've benefited to this from some extent, but that shouldn't make me silent on this. It, it really still is, to me, a moral and ethical scandal. Welcome back to Upon Further Review. 
Here to discuss prep and general landscape in what has become a hard-hit hotspot in the state of Arizona, uh, he's veteran Arizona Republic reporter Richard Ober. Thank you for joining us this morning, Richard. And Richard, to start off with, we got breaking news. The Arizona Interscholastic Association has decided to cancel winter sports by a five to four vote. Was uh, this was something that uh, was foreseen or did folks kind of get gobsmacked by it and give us a general uh, impression of uh, what's taken place in the last two or three days? You know, uh, despite the, the numbers, uh, Arizona this week during the week was number one in the country as far as uh, positive cases go. Mm-hmm. And the rate positive case anyway, but it was it was kind of unforeseen. I didn't see this coming because in December, um, when it was already spiking and it was getting you know really really bad um, in Arizona, they had uh, an emergency meeting, the AIA executive board, and at that point they said they put a hard date at January 18th of starting competition for winter sports, and then and david hines the executive director of the aia even said that the only way this would not happen the season would not happen is if the governor if the governor doug ducey shut down the date or prohibited high or schools shut down schools and none of that happened so um you know when when you hear that you, you kind of take take their word for it and you believe that's going to happen because they did that for football Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't back down when the numbers got bad again in uh, November and and uh, you know early to mid December when they played the state championship games and and uh, there were crowds. I mean, there was packed stadiums for the playoffs basically. And uh, nobody said then, okay, we we can't play football anymore. We got to stop because the numbers are too bad. So you know, for them to uh, go in and say, okay, we're not going to have any winter sports, even when they said we're not going to have any fans at any of these games. They said that in December, everybody was good with that. And then to vote five to four um, to cancel the winter sports season, I think it took everybody. That's why there's a lot of anger right now on social media. People are upset about it. We did a poll for the Republic asking if this was a right decision or a bad decision. 80% said this is a bad decision. Um, so there's a, there's a big outpour. There's are some that say, okay, we got to take the medical advice. I mean, they did go by the sports medicine advisory committee, which recommended, um, we better not go on with, with, with winter sports because the numbers are so bad and the hospitals are being packed and they're being overburdened the ICUs and it's something like 93%, um, of the ICU beds are taken. So they're, they're looking at, but high school age kids, you know, you don't, you're not seeing them run rushing into emergency rooms that much. You're not seeing, you know, maybe they're saying, okay, well, there's a chance they're going to get COVID and then pass it on to other people and they'll get it, they'll have it worse or whatever. But I just, this, yeah, it just took everybody by storm. Uh, Richard, uh, just, you know, one of the many tension points in the pandemic has been, you know, the need to, focus on, you know, what's happening on the ground, but yet, you know, have some wide ranging standards, uh, you know, and we obviously living in the PAC 12, that was a real sticking point that, you know, the league was trying to have pervasive standards that, you know, could apply to all 12 schools, but then they ran into roadblocks, uh, specifically in the state of California. I mean, I, 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 the, the parallels with the Pac-12 seem to be pretty obvious here. Uh, ha, has that been a discussion point? Has that uh, come up in like any of the 
conversations you've had with people behind the scenes or in terms of uh, just your your analysis of the situation? Well, early on, um, before the football season started, when uh, Pac-12 at that point was going to cancel the, the fall season, um, there was really somebody, a board member had mentioned it, but then it, it just kind of like nobody really addressed it. Nobody really took that into uh, account as for why you know, AI was going to continue with football. At that point, though, Arizona, the numbers were going down. It was more in a, uh, it was not in the red zone anymore. It was more in the yellow, moderate range where they felt they could go ahead and have contact sport and uh, and decided, uh, uh, you know, at one point it was, they were going to look at, it was going to be 10 per 100,000 if it had to be 10 or less for 100 per 1,000 cases to be able to play contact sports. But then they loosened it up and said, 75 at that point arizona was below 75 and uh but now it's something like 120 125 per 100,000. so it, they're, they're looking at it closely now with the smack and the smack is, is is being a lot more tight you know with this or a lot more on on airing on the side of caution where they don't want to you know they don't want to jeopardize you know getting kids sick and uh but the other thing that came up yesterday in the uh board meeting was uh, a motion was originally uh, started to uh, allow for the start of winter sports, but everybody, all participants, would be wearing masks, and everybody said, "Okay, you know." And then it was, it was seconded, and and uh, there was four people that uh, you know want, wanted to go that route, and then but there was five that felt that the because uh, Arizona had become the number one hotspot in the country um, for COVID. That uh, they 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 didn't want to they wanted to go by the a the the sports medicine advisory committee's recommendation and not play. Richard, um, quick follow up on the process. You said there's been a lot of anger. Uh, the director, uh, you said said there was going to be a hard day on January eight of January eighteenth about a month ago, and uh, you know we, we we talk about politics about knowing the votes. So obviously he had the votes at the time. Now it's 5-4, so either there was a poor whip or there's been a shift. Do you have an idea of, of if there was a shift in terms of the board of the past three weeks? And how does this process happen? Is there You spoke of a hearing. Is there like a Zoom hearing or a public hearing? Is there a comment period? How does that work? Um, you know, it was just an executive board meeting. And, and, and what, when they, the last one they had it was December 18th. And at that point, they said, "Okay, we're going to start." Uh, just it's just nine. There's nine board members, and then there's a president of the board, and uh, they all just agreed. They all agreed. Um, David Hines basically said, "Let's let's start January 18th," and uh, the board kind of it was unanimous at that point. Said, "Okay, let's let's go ahead and uh, approve this and start January 18th." Wow! So lost four uh, votes. Wow. Yeah, and so this was a. Uh, this was um, December 18th, you know, and that was like right before the Christmas break. And, um, you know, they, they said that the uh, the conferences would be able to determine the number of weeks of competition and, and there would be a tournament afterwards. The, the season would end March 5th and spring sports uh, workout practices would begin March, fir- March 1st. And um, so everything was on schedule. And then all of a sudden, yesterday, they had met with the the SMAC chairperson, Christina Wilson, Dr. Christina Wilson, and made the, the recommendation not to Tell play. us what SMAC is, uh, Richard, 
uh, for those uh, of us that yeah, know it's, out it's, in Arizona? It's, it, it means uh, Sports Medicine Advisory Committee. Okay. It's, uh, yeah. And uh, so, you know, smack for short. Um, but, um, but yeah, they, uh, they, they, they convinced at least five of those board members that they need to, uh, they need to be, uh, they need to take these recommendations seriously. And, uh, they felt like it would be negligence if they didn't. So, um, but, the, but there was four, uh, including Chandler, Chandler school district, which is one of the, probably the most powerful districts in the state. And, uh, you well, know, you it, uh, yeah. And Camille or, uh, yeah, Camille Castile, who's a superintendent, she's on the, she sits on the AIA board, mm -hmm. and she, um, she was all for uh, going forward with playing winter sports, and she felt there was a, there would be an emotional disconnect if they didn't have this, mm -hmm. and uh, it would hurt the kids emotionally, and she, she she just felt strongly that there should be sports, as you know, as long as the medicate, the mitigations were in place, and they felt it was safer to have the high schools in control because what's going to happen now is. All these kids, a lot of these kids are going to go to club or they're going to form these AIA coaches are going to form club club teams with their own AIA kids or their own school kids and just form their own league. So that's what that's what I foresee is going to be happening. Richard, uh, you know, ha give you know, one thing that sports pervasively all sports pro college and high school have all been wrestling with in the pandemic is the notion of uh landing the plane on time you know this is what i've heard from like the people with the college football playoff you know they they didn't delay or push back the the uh playoff semifinals and the uh national championship game because they said you got to land the plane on time you just got to put this plane down on the ground you got to get it done with so the idea of pushing back the season several weeks uh, to make up games, you know, was just not seen as palatable. And we can debate whether that's right or wrong, but just that's been the prevailing logic in a lot of sports leagues. Uh, how much was the notion of a delay of the winter season, uh, you know, pushing it back a couple months, uh, how much was that wrestled with? And maybe, you know, how much was the idea of, having some overlap between winter and spring sports, uh, how, how much of that was, a, was ever discussed seriously by the AIA? Yeah, they didn't see that as being realistic. They felt that um, if they had done that, it would have compromised the spring uh, sports teams. And last year they, they already had gone through it because they started, they played, they were like eight to nine games into their season during the, in March when all of a sudden everything got shut down and, and that wiped out their, their spring season. So they didn't want to have that hap that happen again. And the overlap they felt would have pushed, you know, would have been too much. And there's too many schools, especially the rural smaller schools um, that have, they don't have enough athletes to go around. They don't, uh, they don't, uh, specialize and they play multiple sports and they would basically would not be able to field teams if there was too much overlap and uh and they just felt they, they just needed to start spring they wanted to start spring in march they didn't want to push it back they don't want to push spring into summer pat way past graduations and because most graduations in arizona are may 15th may, yeah. in that yeah mid-may so um so anyway then and i guess i just I guess they didn't want the spring teams to have to go through it all over again. 
And so uh, they just felt, uh, well, I don't know. It's 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 just a it's just a tough situation for a lot of people. And I, I can see the the safety uh, point of view, but at the same time, there's uh, man, a lot of these kids, a lot of these coaches were working pretty hard. They were going through weeks and weeks of practice with the idea that they were going to be able to play. And then all of a sudden, 10 days before the first competition, they're told uh, they're not going to play. It's It's got to be tough because of a lot of work they had put in, a lot of mitigations, a lot of protocols they had followed just to try to keep it safe and make sure they could have a season. Switching gears uh, briefly, Richard, we had an inspirational story amidst all this chaos, all this depression, all this psychological beating down, um, all this, you know, all the things, all the accoutrements of a, uh, an, an epochal uh, pandemic, which is what this was. There was a coach down in Yuma named Rush Stryker who, uh, who uh, contracted COVID and there's been a happy ending. Why don't you tell us about Coach Rush Stryker and his story? Yeah, he's actually in Kingman, Kingman High School. And Kingman, I'm sorry. He's, uh, yeah, no problem. And he's, I think this was his second or third year as head coach and he basically had a, 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 you know, try to revive a program and nobody wanted to go there. You know, it was like a, a dying program and and he was helping kids off the street. He was giving them food, transportation, clothing, whatever they needed. And then all of a sudden he gets hit with with COVID. First, his wife, you know, they I think they both his wife got hit first. And after day seven or so, she got better, started getting better and. And they thought after his day seven, he would get better, but then he got worse. He took a turn for the worst and and um, she had to rush him into the hospital um, emergency in Kingman. And um, and that same night, he, he basically coded. They thought he was going to die and and his heart stopped and then he got revived and then he was intubated. His oxygen levels were so low and for the entire high school, this was a week before the regular season was to start. And uh, for the entire high school football season, something like 12 weeks, he was intubated in hospitals. He had, he had gone to three different hospitals. He went from Kingman and, you know, he wasn't really getting the treatment he needed. Um, so his wife transferred him over to Mayo and uh, Mayo Clinic in North Phoenix, uh, where it was more aggressive treatment. And he was given uh, the convalescent plasma and that helped him. And uh, he was starting to get better, and but you know he still intubated, and then and then um, after the season ended, he was taken to St. Uh, Joseph for rehabilitation. He started to get better. He started to get you know he was taken off the the, the ventilator, and um, he was able to uh, show some progress. But he was still, you know, when I was doing the story, when I was writing the story, which came out on Christmas Day, he was uh, having trouble walk. Uh, getting out of his wheelchair because you know the atrophy and everything from being uh, being on a ventilator for for 12 weeks had taken a toll and he was just trying to relearn how to walk again and everything else so it was it was tough but he was i mean they felt it was a miracle his wife you know stephanie called it a miracle and she prayed hard they, uh, they had a lot of prayers and and he's a, a man of faith and and he feels that uh there's a reason that god you know um, you know, saved him and, and made sure that he had more more to do to help kids. So, yeah, it's a very, very inspirational story.
That does it for this episode of A Palm Further Review. And until next time, learn more, share more, think more, care more.